You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. But it becomes sin, if you will, and a hindrance because it weighs you down. It holds you back. You could become successful in life, and you have money now. And just those riches become a hindrance. A hindrance. And sometimes your hindrance is not my hindrance, and my hindrance is not your hindrance. It's the same way on the second thing. If you're going to run to win... Not only get rid of the things that hinder. Are you allowing something that should be good to keep you from moving forward in your relationship with Jesus? Today, Pastor Danny will remind you to take anything that's pulling you down and get it out of your life. That could mean some drastic changes need to be made. You might need to cancel some social media accounts or step away from some relationships or maybe even look at changing your job. But remember, pursuing Jesus and his will for you is the best thing that you could ever run after. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 with today's edition of The Living Word. So chapter 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance. In light of that opening statement, and we got several verses we're going to look at, but let me just turn over quickly to James chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those that have gone on before, uh, those characters in history who have responded to God in faith and persevered, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run, run. The Apostle Paul loved comparing uh, the Christian life to a race. He did it in Galatians 5. He did it in Philippians 3. He did it near the end of his Christian life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where he said this, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. But one of my favorites, before we go right back to Hebrews 12, is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what he says here, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. That's a good kind of competitiveness. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No shadow boxing here. No, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. So run to win. I like the way one preacher said, it's running for your life in a positive way. Run to win. And if you're going to run to win, opening statement, get rid of anything that hinders. Anything that hinders. Now, something that hinders in and of itself is not sin. But it becomes sin, if you will, and a hindrance because it weighs you down. It holds you back. You could become successful in life, and you have money now. And just those riches become a hindrance, a hindrance. And sometimes your hindrance is not my hindrance, and my hindrance is not your hindrance. It's the same way on the second thing. If you're going to run to win, not only get rid of the things that hinder, but the sin that so easily entangles. And the sin that so easily entangles you might not have been the sin that so easily entangles me. For example, and understand what I mean. Thank God I've never gotten into pornography. And it's ruining lives today, especially men. Ruining lives. It's never gotten me, and by God's grace, it never will. I've just never gone there. I've never been seduced in that way. But it's destroying so many lives. Get rid of what hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your right eye offends you, plug it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Now, he's speaking graphically, not literally, though. He's not obviously talking about taking your eye out and cutting off your hand literally. But he's saying, look, you better be serious about this thing. If you're not serious about it, then you won't be free of it. If you knew that there was some disease, cancer, whatever, on this right hand, and the doctor says, well, your body can be saved, your life can be saved, but you're going to lose your hand, I'd be willing to lose my hand. As much as I'd hate that, I'd be willing to lose it. And I think you would too. Hindrances, sinful entanglements, and want, run with perseverance. Endurance is a quality that every distance runner must develop. And let me remind us, Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. I ran track in middle school, I ran track in high school, and I ran track my first year at Liberty University. And every year, every year, from middle school on, every year, I'll never forget, about the first two weeks of track practice in the season, I would throw up pretty much every day at some point in practice because it was grueling. It was grueling. And every time I remember, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. Thank God I didn't quit. And after a couple of weeks of, quite bluntly, just giving it up every day, uh, I just stuck in there, you know, and hung in there and continued to train. And after a couple of weeks, that didn't happen anymore. And you got in shape. And you were able to run and run to win. Run to win. Persevere. Then verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart so you won't quit when you throw up. In sports, listen, if you're going to be anything as an athlete, you have to be focused. Focused. Anybody play baseball growing up? Some of you still playing baseball now. Some of you young people probably play on a local team, high school or whatever. And here's the one thing you're going to hear a coach say. When you're batting, here's the one thing. It's so foundational, but keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. You're playing shortstop. And then all of a sudden, one of these days, you know, the thing, the ball comes up and misses your glove and socks you right in the nose. You know what happens next time? You start to think about that ball coming up and hitting you in the nose again. You turn away and the coach comes out. Say, hey, keep your eye on the ball. You're going to really make it, and you're going to really win games. You're going to be the athlete. You should be. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. You're playing football, and you're a receiver. I was a receiver. And I'll never forget, sometimes these teams, especially when they got, man, they got good linebackers and good defensive backs, and you know they do. And here the ball's coming to you, and you got to watch the ball, but you hear footsteps. And you're tempted, and I've done it before, to look over and see how close that dude is that's wanting to clean my clock. And if you look over at the guy that's coming at you, you're probably not going to catch the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Golf, what you got to do? One of the most difficult things to do in golf. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. That's one of the hardest things to do. Thank God I don't have to do it anymore. I don't play golf anymore. I've been delivered. I know some of your golfers, and you're good at it. God bless you. I become a free will Baptist on the back nine. I lose my salvation at some point. <laughs> Been delivered from golf. You know one thing a runner is never to do. Never to do is look back. Philippians three, when Paul again compares the Christian life to a race, he says, "There's one thing I do: straining toward what is ahead and forgetting what is behind." I forget about what's behind. One thing a runner's never to do if he's going to win real races consistently: you don't look back. You don't look back. August seventh, nineteen fifty-four, British Empire Games, Vancouver, Canada. One of the greatest mile run matchups ever took place. It was touted as the miracle mile because Roger Bannister and John Landy were the only two sub four minute milers in the world at that time. Bannister had been the first man ever to run the mile in four minutes. Both runners were in peak condition. Landy had a substantial lead for much of the race. Bannister's plan was to relax during the third lap and save everything for the finishing drive. But in the third lap, Landy poured it on. Stretching his already substantial lead. Bannister had to change his strategy and increase his pace. At the bell for the final lap, the runners were dead even. At the home stretch, the crowd roared. Landy was once again in the lead, but could not hear Bannister's footfall. So he, you guessed it, he looked back. And that's when Bannister made his move. And Roger Bannister won the Miracle Mile that day by 15 feet. Back in Hebrews 12, he now gives us some very helpful reminders. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not re yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What does that mean? Well, I translated it this way. It ain't as bad as it could be. In other words, you ain't dead. 
You haven't become a martyr. Oh, you're going through a tough time, but you're still alive. You're not a martyr. Then verse 5. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters, as children of God. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Did you catch that? That's an encouragement to say, look, you're going through a tough time. Your heavenly father is allowing that. And that is a mark that you are legitimate. You're really his child. Let me tell you what Peter says about it. First Peter chapter one. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine. You're the real deal and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Proves you're legitimate. And then one last section, chapter 12, Hebrews, verse 9 Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. That's a general statement. That doesn't happen with everybody. (laughs) How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Catch this next line. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Stop there a minute. My wife and I have gotten beyond this now. All our children are too old, really, to spank. We believe in biblical spanking. We believe in that. The Bible teaches that. And we've tried to be faithful when our children were younger in disciplining them with a godly rod, not in anger, uh, not, you know, violence kind of stuff, but just godly discipline. And neither one of us, my wife or me, remember one time, not one time, that any one of my children after that experience said, that was such a bonding moment. (laughs) Could we do this again tomorrow? I just love being with you this way. No, 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 no. That's the last thing in the world. Audrey knew she's going to the woodshed. She just just go cry all back tears and everything. She's the hardest one to spank, but I did it anyway. Did it anyway. Let me read you a couple more verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him 
is careful to discipline him. Not talking about an emotional hatred. It's talking about a neglect of something that's painful for both of you. But if you really love your child, if you really love your child, you will. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 22 15, folly is bound in the heart of the, up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And then one more, I love Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. You just sound like he's going to die. <laughs> punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Now, that's a little side encouragement for those of you who are parents and have children that are still young enough to do some godly discipline. But I also read those because I want us to understand what Hebrews 12 is saying, that God, our Heavenly Father, loves us. And because He loves us, He will discipline us. Proves we're His children. And without discipline, we'd never mature. Did you know that Jesus himself as a human being, as a man, required discipline to mature? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect, mature, through suffering. Hebrews 5, verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. One writer said this, God had one son without sin, but none without suffering. One son without sin, but none without suffering. C.H. Spurgeon said, I'm afraid that all the grace I've got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good I've received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the hammer and the anvil, the fire and the file? Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. Now here's how I want to close. Stay with me here. God has a variety of purposes in discipline. The first one you think about that I've talked about a bit is correction. That's really most of the time the numero uno one that comes up. Uh, discipline for correction. There's a right response to correction. I'm not going to turn to these scriptures. This, this is all online. As always, you can get the notes online. But David, you know, David, a man after God's own heart, really messed up. Committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. Became an adulterer. And then a murderer. Had his, her husband killed so he could have her for himself. And God took him to the woodshed as a result. And he writes in Psalm 38, he writes in Psalm 32, the condition of his life at the time when he was in God's woodshed, physically afflicted. He said, my back is filled with searing pain. God physically afflicted him, spanking him to try to correct him. Now, David responded rightly to God's correction. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 67 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. David writes in the psalm, one of the psalms, and he says, well, when I, when I wouldn't confess my sin, when I hid it, I wasted away. But then when I confessed it, when he repented and confessed it and got right with his heavenly father, he was restored. Some of us would be physically healed 
because the physical infirmity in our life is a direct result of God's hand, loving hand of correction in our lives. But there's a wrong response. King Asa, 2 Chronicles 16. Overall, a good king, but near the end of his life, he made a terrible mistake and he went back to the world's way of dealing with the enemy. He tried to buy them off. Tried to buy off help. Now, God had already given him great victory by faith over another um, enemy army. And so God sends the prophet to him this time and says, hey, why are you doing it the world's way now, basically? And he gets angry at the prophet and he gets angry at God. He ends up, the Bible says, afflicted with a severe disease in his feet. But it says he would not seek help from the Lord because now he's got an attitude. He'd only seek help from the physicians. He responded wrongly. King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, says he was successful or he was a godly king until he became successful. And then pride was his downfall. That was his Achilles heel. That was the sin that so easily entangled him. He went and tried to do what only the priests were allowed to do, and he took a censer, went into the temple. Eighty courageous priests confronted him, and instead of him responding rightly, he got angry at them, lashed out at them. God sent leprosy on his life. He became a leper. And the end of his life is sad. He lived alone, out of fellowship, out of fellowship with the people of God. And that's the way he died. Wrong response. Second purpose in God's discipline is education. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. That's heavenly food. Speaks of Christ, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you education that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's what God was trying to do. He wanted to develop in them an appetite for the heavenly because we're born with a natural appetite for the earthly. And those Israelites wandering in the wilderness, as God tried to teach them this, time and time again, they would say, why can't we go back to Egypt and get the food of Egypt? We're tired of this manna. We're tired of this heavenly food. It was a whole lot more physically satisfying to have the earthly food, the food of Egypt. And so many of them never developed, never learned what God was trying to teach them, to develop a heavenly appetite. And it has to be developed. Third, Revelation, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, listen to this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. I always like to remind us, that's not so God would know what's in their heart. God knows what's in our heart. It's so they would know. And so he brought them through these tough times, these tough circumstances, to teach them and to reveal to them the condition of their heart. But so many times they ended up blaming their circumstances and blaming other people and blaming Moses, blaming the pastor, blaming Aaron. Some of you in that situation right now, and you say, it's my wife's fault. I wouldn't be like I am if it wasn't for her. It's my husband's fault. I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't have the attitude I had if it wasn't for him. He's such a dirtbag. It's my kid's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my circumstance. It, and you blame all these things. And God's trying to say, what? look, you know, I understand the tough thing, but I've allowed you in this tough circumstance because I want you to know your heart. 
need surgery. The book of Hebrews contains a unique passage that's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. This section gives you a synopsis of people who followed their creator without knowing the end result or with having each step laid out for them. These icons of trust were definitely not without flaw. Their journeys weren't free from trials and tribulations either, but they came back to their faithful Heavenly Father time and time again, trusting that He would fulfill His promises. God used these ordinary men and women to accomplish great things in their time and to set in motion kingdom work that would continue to change lives for countless generations to come. We're so glad that you joined us today to study the book of Hebrews with Pastor Danny Hodges here on The Living Word. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of Pastor Danny's teachings through the books of the Bible, visit ccfstpete.church and click on Sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today, or if you'd like us to pray for you, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's info at ccfstpete.church. We count it as a privilege to lift our valued listeners up to the Lord in prayer. That's all we have time for today in our study of Hebrews. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue digging deeper into Scripture right here on The Living Word.